In the name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. Early one morning this last April, I was walking along the path through the city park just east of our house. Just around the corner, uh, a teenage boy, skinny kid, wearing a backpack and uh, a hoodie sweatshirt with, with the hood pulled down over his head, was drifting toward me. I noticed that if he were to continue on the same line at the same pace, our two paths would converge like two tributaries coming together. I was expecting him to turn aside and avoid me. Teenagers these days like to keep to themselves, right? (laughs) And maybe I was hoping that he would avoid me. I don't usually trust a man with a hoodie pulled over his head. Which is ironic because this morning I was walking and with my jacket on and I had to pull my hoodie down because of the wind. I was hoping he'd turn aside because I had a lot of important things on my mind that morning and I wasn't in the mood to talk. But he didn't. He just kept walking right toward me. And I don't know if it was intentional or if from underneath his hoodie plugged into his earbuds, he didn't even know that I was there. Whatever it was, now all of a sudden the two of us are walking side by side on the same path together. Reluctantly, I break out of my thoughts to make some small talk. You walking to school? I ask him. Yes, sir, he said. I go to Bishop de Berg. The high school he mentioned was, is one of many Roman Catholic high schools in the St. Louis area. I knew where it was. How long does it take to walk there? I asked. About 45 minutes, maybe an hour. What's your name? Michael, he said. That's my name too. I'm Michael. There are not a lot of Michaels in my school, even though it's a common name. I asked him, are you named after someone in your family? No, probably just after someone famous like Michael Jordan or Michael Jackson. I told him, my parents told me that I'm named after Michael the angel in the Bible. That's cool. The priest at my school says that names have meaning and stuff. I wished I was named after Michael the angel. I said, well, you should just claim it. (laughs) Michael's job in the Bible is to tell everyone how great God is. His name means who is like God. It's like a question so obvious it doesn't even need an answer. Or, I thought later, takes a lifetime to answer, maybe longer. So this was the unexpected conversation that led these two Michaels down the downstream 
into the day. We'd almost crossed the park now, and I had expected him to turn off to the side to go to his school, but he kept walking with me into the neighborhood, into my neighborhood. Actually, he said, I'm going to go meet some friends for breakfast this morning. See, we had a friend from school who died this last summer. He got hit by a drunk driver. This week would have been his 16th birthday, so we're getting together to remember him. What was your friend's name? I asked him. Sam, he said. Do you get together at a restaurant or uh, somebody's house in the neighborhood? Actually, we meet at this old lady's house called Grandma Peggy. She feeds us bacon, pancakes, sometimes French toast. I was curious now because this is my neighborhood. So I asked him, well, what street does Grandma Peggy live on? He says, I don't know. I just recognize it from the buildings. She's not really my grandma, though. We just call her that. So I kept walking with him, trying to meet this, uh, interested to meet this uh, mysterious Grandma Peggy. But we walked for another five minutes, and still he didn't know where he was or where the house was. So because I had a lot to do that day, I told Michael goodbye and started walking home. And as I was walking, I was wondering, I wonder if Grandma Peggy's even real. <laughs> Maybe he just made the story up just to mess with me. He'd probably tell his friends about it that day in school, about how he, he made up this story and told it to some bald guy in the park, <laughs> and he believed it. Maybe I fell for the story because I wanted it to be true. Because in my city, you hear a lot about teen pregnancies and drug deals, gun violence. You hear a lot of people angry about how things are going from bad to worse. You hear a lot of older people complaining about younger people with their bad attitudes and their lousy work ethic and their, their loud cars. But you don't often hear about a Grandma Peggy some mythical being that, that feeds strange teenagers breakfasts before school on a Wednesday morning? I thought, if Grandma Peggy's real, then we need an army of her. But it's probably just a joke. And I was the butt of it. I walk home... And come in the front door and my, my daughter, our daughter Elise, meets us, uh, meets me. She, she was just leaving the house to take her car to the local auto mechanic in the neighborhood. She had run over a nail that someone had thrown thoughtlessly in the alley and there was just enough, tire, just enough air in the tire for her to drive the car to the, to the auto mechanic and drop it off and walk home. But before she, she left, she asked me, how was your walk? I told her about this kid, Michael, that I met. Told her about his friend, Sam, who had died. Told her about this Grandma Peggy. But I didn't know if she was real or not. Thirty minutes later, Elise, our daughter, 
bursts in to the front door and says, I met Grandma Peggy. <laughs> what? You're joking. No, no, as I was walking home, there were, there were all these cars out in front of the, this house in the neighborhood. All these high school students were, were getting out, and there was this old lady there, and she was hugging them and greeting them. And so I walked past, and I asked her, are you Grandma Peggy? And she was. She feeds them, like six pounds of bacon and, and four dozen eggs. And, and she said today she bought a, a hundred donuts because they were celebrating the, this birthday of this kid, Sam, the one who got killed by the drunk driver. Sam was Peggy's grandson. Later, I learned the backstory. About a year ago, Sam... Before he died, he, he, he and his friends before school, they, they would meet at a local diner for breakfast. And one day Sam said, my grandma Peggy makes better pancakes than this. And so one of his friends said, well, why don't we go to her house for breakfast? And later his grandma heard that her, her grandson was bragging on her cooking, so she said, if you come, I'll feed you. And so they started coming every Wednesday morning for breakfast and she fed them. And then that summer, at Sam's funeral, one of his friends was saying how much he was going to miss having breakfast at Sam's grandma's house. And she heard it and she said, again, if you come, I'll feed you. And so for the last year, they've been coming every Wednesday morning before school and she feeds them. They come to her front door like debris carried along in some great river. And I was getting swept up in it too. I knew I had to meet this Grandma Peggy. So like that, my whole plans for the day were swept away and I left the house and walked to where my daughter said her house was and I walked up the front steps and I knocked on her door and I said, are you Grandma Peggy? And I sat with her on her front porch for the next hour and we talked. She told me about her life. And I told her what I do for a living. I said, I do this Christian radio program. It's called the Lutheran Hour. She'd never heard of it. I said, every week we talk about a, a passage of Scripture and the Scripture that I was I was meditating on this morning, this was the thing that I was focusing on in the park that I was too busy to talk to the skinny kid in the backpack with the hoodie. The scripture that I was meditating on this morn morning was from Romans chapter 5 and it says that the love of God is, is poured out into our hearts and, and I found out that, that you just fed breakfast to the kid I tried to ignore in the park along with 25 of his, of his friends and that you've done this every morning for the past year and it just seems like this love of God that the Bible talks about is being poured out through your heart and it turns out that's what was happening Peggy said she goes to church at the, the local Roman Catholic parish there in the neighborhood she said that when Sam died she just felt lost 
After he died, her, her husband, his dementia took a turn for the worse. And now Peggy has become the full-time in-home caregiver for her husband. Her husband's become her patient. And she doesn't want to send him into a home because, wow, she just doesn't want him to be alone. But she doesn't know if she has enough strength to, to keep doing this every day like she is. And besides, she's got medical issues herself. She's been through three rounds of cancer treatments and, and uh, it's taken a toll on her body and she doesn't even know if she's going to be able to, to make it the next day. So every morning she prays that God gives her enough strength to make it through the day. I'm listening to Peggy's story and I'm thinking about all the other people that I've heard who have a similar experience as she does. Maybe you've heard of people in her situation. Maybe your situation sounds something like hers. And I don't know about you, but when, when I hear that, a lot of people I know get angry at God when they've been through something like this. And I asked Peggy, are you ever angry at God? And she said, well, I miss Sam, and I don't know why God let this happen, but I know that God made Sam his child, and I know that I'm going to see him again one day, and I know that God gave up his son so that we could be with him forever. That's the goal of this life, isn't it? It turns out Peggy was living the truth of the scripture that I was trying to memorize that morning. The scripture that says that we rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. Peggy was living the truth that I was memorizing. The Apostle Paul wrote those words in his letter to the Romans. Now before Paul wrote those words, he spent a lot of his life being angry. Angry at the world, angry at the people who were ruining the world, and Paul had good reason to be angry because he knew that God was angry. See, Paul had read the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. He knew them backwards and forwards. And he knew that God had set a day that he would judge the world. That God would pour out his righteous wrath on the world. That justice would roll down like a mighty river. A surge of justice to, to crush and cut loose and sweep away all the wickedness and foolishness and carelessness that's ruining the world. Paul knew that God was angry and had good reason to be angry and Paul was angry. But somehow Paul let that anger get him turned around and Paul found himself angry at God. Paul didn't know it at the time, but he was angry at God because the thing that Paul was most mad at was where God was right in the middle. Paul was mad at these followers of Jesus, this Nazarene, whom they claimed was the Messiah, the one who was going to put the world right again, who had put the world right again. See, Paul at the time thought about Jesus like a lot of people today think of Jesus. He's just some guy from Nazareth 
what can he do? Feed some people breakfast, help some, heal some, and then he got himself crucified. What can he do? Well, things changed for Paul. Paul was raging mad, hunting down these Christ followers, locking them up in prison when the risen Jesus Christ met him on the path like a roaring river overtakes a tiny tributary. And Paul got swept up in this Jesus movement. Paul is baptized in the flood that washes away the old and brings all things new. And he wrote about it in this letter called Romans. And one of the new things it brought for Paul was a new understanding of God's love. See, God is not just an angry judge. God is a loving Father. He always has been, is now, and always will be. And God found a way to pour out his righteous wrath, to put the world right again, to judge evil. He found a way to do it without having to destroy us. He poured out his wrath on Jesus, his son, instead. And when we are baptized into him by faith in him, the flood of judgment washes over us. And we're safe in Jesus so that we can rise again to a new life to walk by faith in Jesus. Paul explains it all in the letter to the Romans. It's the longest letter he wrote. Over 7,000 words in the original language. And if you were to read all of Romans, if you were to listen to it on an audio Bible, which I recommend that you do, it's going to be hard to follow sometimes because Paul speaks in a language and, and in a style of argumentation that is foreign to us. And people have been arguing about what Romans means precisely for 2,000 years. And that's why I was puzzling on this scripture verse early that morning, trying to ignore this kid. That's why I was puzzling on it. But then I got swept up in this flood that's still flowing to which Paul's letter testifies this flood of God's love that is sweeping away the, the old and bringing a new creation in Christ. Sometimes it sounds too good to be true. But I met Grandma Peggy. She's for real. I asked for her permission to share her story on the Lutheran Hour, and I, and I shared it this summer. The response was unprecedented. In my five years speaking on the Lutheran Hour, we have never received so much response. People called in, a Roman Catholic from Connecticut, a Southern Baptist from Texas, a, a Lutheran from California. They called in. They wanted to know more about Grandma Peggy. They wanted to know how they could help. And we told them, thank you for calling in. Yes, please pray for Grandma Peggy. 
and pray for God to open your eyes to see the Grandma Peggy's that he is raising up in your neighborhood. Because God's got an army of them all around the world. He's got Peggy's everywhere who share his love. And some Michaels to tell about it, too. Amen? In the name of Jesus, amen.